Sweet. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Hey, well, I hope you're excited. I'm excited. We are launching off into a new series this morning. Uh, we're going into the book of Jonah. So you can begin to find your way there. If you have a Bible, that might be a little bit harder. Uh, it's just to help you out. It's between, uh, I think, Obadiah and Micah. So good luck with that. Uh, but it's uh, in what's called the, the minor prophets that not because their message is minor, but they're shorter. It's in the Old Testament. Look up your table of contents, whatever you need. Begin to work your way there. Let me just set it up a little bit. At the beginning of the year, we, we began to pray and ask God, Lord, what would you have us just kind of as a church family turn our attention to and focus on? And we just really felt we wanted to come back as we launch into our third year this week. Uh, we wanted to come back to uh, just this idea that God has called us not just to be on mission, but, but to be people that are, are transformed by the mission ourselves. And so we looked at a, a couple things that we're going to do, the book of Acts next, but now Jonah. And we, we call in this series, The Mercy and Mission of God. And, and our prayer is, my hope is, that, that by the end of our time, we would each have a d- deeper understanding and experience of God's mercy for, for not only out there, but in here, and a deeper experience and understanding of God's mission for not only out there, but in here as well. And so I, I'm excited about that. Love, love Jonah. One of the reasons I love Jonah is uh, not only is he a prophet, but he's a missionary. And he's the worst missionary ever. So I love that about him. I, he's, he, uh, he's terrible. Um, because I've been a bad missionary. And I've, you know, I've been overseas for 13 years. And, and I work every day with missionaries and, and, and help encourage and recruit and, and train missionaries. And what I, I love missionaries because one of the things I love about them is they're just extraordinarily ordinary I've never seen a missionary with a cape on. Like, they're not superheroes. They're like you and they're like me. Uh, they, they struggle with the things that we struggle with. I know, because I've done it. They struggle in their marriage. They struggle as parents. They struggle with their call. Uh, they sometimes get bitter t- towards the people they're, they're supposedly trying to reach with the gospel. They, they struggle financially. They struggle with depression. They, they wonder uh, if God is really in this. They struggle with the will of God. They, they struggle in so many ways, just like you and me. They're just ordinary people, and yet... By God's grace, he's doing a work not only through them, but in them. And, and that's really true of all of us. That's what this series is about, that God is going to work through your life, but also going to work in your life as you're on mission with him. So as we, as we think about Jonah, there's some, some things up front that we got to get, get out of the way. You might know Jonah from uh, Sunday school, or uh, my kids were telling me about uh, the Veggie Tales, apparently, something about a... Uh, a pumpkin, I don't know, is that, is that right? They said, check with the Dugas kids. Uh, but, but here's the deal with Jonah. Like, kind of like with Noah, we, we pull these, uh, we rip these stories out of context from the Old Testament and somehow dumb them down such that we, we actually put them in our nurseries. Like, let's paint Noah and all the cute little animals right above your baby's head, not, not, not realizing that's like the worst event on the history of the planet, but that's cute. And so when we cutify the stories of God, we can miss the, the power of it. And, and we do the same thing with Jonah. You might think, it not that about a fish, right? 
And you might be thinking, uh, yeah, like he, he, he was in a fish for three days. How is that even possible? And you might struggle with some doubt. You might think, well, this must just be a, an allegory. This must just be a, a, a myth or some way, shape, or form. I, I want to argue that, no, it's a real story. First of all, it's not primarily, it's, it's not, it really the fish is ancillary to the story. But let me just say this. If you're a follower of Christ, the, the idea of the fish in Jonah isn't really even in the top 10 hard things to believe as a follower of Christ. Okay, so you believe that there was nothing but a, but a triune God from eternity past, and he spoke, and the universe came into existence. And, and this God continued, uh, wanted to have a relationship with people that he made in his image, and he continued to intervene in history in miraculous and supernatural ways, all of which are much bigger than a fish three days in the belly. But ultimately, that this God stepped down in the person of his son uh, and put on a second nature, put on human flesh, lived among us in a life of perfect obedience to the Father, went to a cross, and on the cross paid for your, the, the penalty for your sin and mine and received the wrath of God against sin, died, was buried, and for three days was dead in a tomb. And by the power of God, three days later, he rose again. <laughs> So, so again, Jonah is kind of down there on the list in terms of the fish. But, but the biggest reason is, one, there's some context here that we'll see that there's reason to believe this is a real true story. And secondly, Jesus, Jesus refers to it as a real true story. So when in doubt, I just go with what Jesus says on this. I'm like, I'll go with what he says. In fact, Jesus is going to say the whole point of Jonah is the gospel. And that it's going to point to him. And so with that, that that's, that's our hope. Again, that you would see that, that, that this, is a, this is a unique story. Unlike the other prophets, where it's about the message that comes through him, this is about the prophet himself. And so right away, this is a, a strange story. There's a, a lot of surprising twists and turns. And again, if we can get it out of the Sunday school flannel graph, VeggieTale category in our mind and begin to step into the story, we're going to see that God's mercy and mission is far deeper and for, far more amazing than we could ever imagine. So if you have your Bible and if you worked your way there, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. We'll be in verses 1 through 6 today, so I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. But before that, let me just pray as we launch out into this time together in God's Word. Father, we do come before you now in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the privilege it is that you would condescend to even um, address us, that you would come and, and speak to us through your Word and, and your Spirit and Holy Spirit, I do pray that uh, this word would be what it is, life to us, that we would see things that would encourage us if we need encouragement, to see things that would rebuke us where we need rebuke, but to the end that all of this would mean that we would see and savor Jesus more for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Jonah chapter one. There's going to be three great surprises in this passage. Three, three things that if you're a, a Jewish reader at any time reading this, you think this does not make sense. And it's in the twists and turns of the story that, that we learn something about God and we learn something about ourselves. And so let's just go ahead and jump in. Listen carefully. This is God's word. Jonah chapter one, verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. 
So far, it starts off like a lot of the prophets. The word of the Lord comes. I'm not sure how that comes. If he's just sitting in his room and God says, hey, I've got a word for you, uh, but it comes in. But it, notice it doesn't say once upon a time. It says Jonah, son of Amittai. In fact, we have another verse in the Bible that, that places Jonah in a specific time and place. And so this is another reason why we think this is a real story and not an allegory. It's very poetic, but Jonah, a real person in real time. We, we can actually place him to about 750 years before Jesus. And now we can understand a little bit of the context. At this time in the people, the story of God's people, the, there are two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. They've split. And the northern kingdom, by and large, all of their kings have been wicked kings. All of them have led them down, a, uh, down and down and down towards idolatry, towards rebellion. And God has begun to send prophet after prophet, calling them back. Uh, and yet the people still, with hard hearts, walk away from God. But Jonah is unique. Because of all the prophets, that, the message they had to give what was a very difficult message to the people. Jonah, at first, had a very different message. In fact, in, in 2 Kings chapter 14, I believe, verse 25, let, let me just show you the context here. Jeroboam II says, He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. What's going on here? This just, in, in Jonah's time, there's this group of people called the Assyrians that have, have begun to rise up in power, and they are picking uh, whole nations off, and they're picking towns off, and they're picking territory off, and, and if you looked at a map, the, the, the Israelite territory was getting smaller and smaller and smaller as the Assyrians began to invade the land. But at this point, for just a brief moment, a word comes, look how it comes, it says, according to the word of the Lord, of the, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. Now, this is what's unique about Jonah. So Jonah gets a message that the people want to hear. Like all the other prophets, they don't want to hear it. They'll, they'll put those prophets to death. But, but, but when Jonah first receives a word from the Lord, it's God's going to extend the territory. He's going to reinvigorate the army. He's going to push back the enemy, and our borders are going to be secure. He's going to make Israel great again. He's got his mega hat on. Some of you will catch that later. But he, like, they're patting him on the back. They're like, hey, yeah, Jonah, tell us what else the Lord told you. This is awesome. We got our territory back. We're strong again. And Jonah's feeling pretty good. He's like, yeah. Yeah, God, God told me to tell you guys that, and God did it. Lord, what else do you have for me? I can't, can't wait. Like, I, I, they're buying me beers. They're, 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 they're celebrating. They're patting me on the back. Like, this is a good day for Jonah until Jonah chapter 1, it says the word of the Lord came to him and he's sitting in his room and he's like, awesome, what, what else you got for me, God? Well, God's got a great commission, a surprising commission saying, arise, go to Nineveh, Nineveh. Wait, but, but I'm like the, the patriot prophet, God. I'm the nationalist guy. I, I, like, not, not Nineveh. Who are Nineveh? Nineveh is this great city, modern-day Mosul in Iraq, northeast near Turkey uh, in Iraq, and uh, the, the Assyrians. It's one of their cities. Remember, I just mentioned they're, they're this empire that had begun to pick off people, but the Assyrians, the Ninevites, man, they are wicked people in every way imaginable. They love 
blood. They love bloodshed. They love to rule and reign by, 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 by sheer terror. It, it, was, it would be as if Isis's dream came true and they actually accomplished all they wanted to accomplish. I mean, they, they would, their kings would brag about the, the fields full of the bodies that they had, they had conquered. They wanted to rule by intimidation and fear and violence. And so they would come in into a city and they would rape all the women and then they would gather all the children and and bring them before the the people and they would light the children on fire in front of their parents' eyes. They they would mock you when they would kill you. They'd, They'd cut off your legs and one of your arms and they'd keep one arm and one hand on so they could shake your hand as you die. They would cut off the heads of your, your, your loved ones and put it on a pole, and then they would force you in a mock parade to, to walk through the streets with the head of your loved one on a pole. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't think we can. As brutal as, as the things we've seen, I don't know that we can imagine what would have come into Jonah's mind in that moment when he said, go to Nineveh. The closest I can come up with in, in my own life is, is a time when I, I got to lead a team to Cambodia. And, and in Cambodia in the 1970s, when I was two years old, the, the, uh, the, the Khmer Rouge came to power and they, they murdered two million of their own people, known as the Killing Fields. And so we went to Phnom Penh, and, and, and we went on to, to one of the biggest killing fields. And I just remember walking through this field with these pits on our right and our left. And as you walk, 40 years later, even though they, 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 they try to clean it out all the time, 40 years later, when it rains, bones and clothes and teeth come to the surface. So you're walking trying to avoid femurs and jaw bones and clothes. And you're just like, what kind of horror took place in this place? But then our, our guide leads us to this place in the field, and he says, I want you to come here. I want you to see this tree. Uh, and so it's, it's a nice tree. It's a big tree. He says, I, I just gather around. I want to tell you something about this tree. This tree is known as the killing tree. Like, well, what's that? This is the tree where the Khmer soldiers would, would gather children and babies and, and have the parents stand in front of them, and they would grab the babies by the ankles and swing them like a bat and hit their head on this tree. And then others would, would take the babies and they would throw them up in the, as high as they could in the air and, and with their rifle, with the bayonets, they'd catch the babies. And in that moment when you're standing in the field and you're just envisioning what's happened there, a, a holy, righteous anger rises in your soul and you say, this is not right. And, and in your soul you cry out for justice. But you know what? I... I didn't know any Cambodians. They weren't my friends. They weren't my family. But Jonah's, Jonah's family, Jonah's friends, when he gets the call to go to Nineveh, let's not be so hard on Jonah. Oh, he's the worst prophet, the worst missionary, but I don't know that any of us would do any differently than Jonah. He gets a great commission. He says, go to that great city. Well, then we begin to see something that is true from Genesis chapter 1 throughout the whole Bible is this idea that no matter who is alive, no matter what they've done, as wicked as I've just described, because they bear the impress of their maker, 
They bear the image of God. There is still innate value in them. And so Jonah is calling us and and God is calling us throughout the Bible to what I'll call a a deep, robust, pro-life ethic because the imago Dei, the image of God, matters from womb to tomb. So we care and we fight for the littlest, the unborn, and we care and we fight for those that are, uh, are on their last days and, and we say your, your life matters because you bear the image of God and we care about everyone in between, no matter what race or religion or skin color or sexual orientation, they bear the image of God and they have value before God. And so uh, we, we care about the poor and the press. We care about the 40 million people in slavery today. We care about refugees because God cares about them because it reflects his image. And he says, go to that great city. God loves cities. Yes, there's a concentration of sin and rebellion in cities, but there's a concentration of image bearing in cities. And so cities matter to God, even when they're wicked people. He says, go to that great city, call out against it, Basically, call them to repentance, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah receives a surprising, great commission. So then we see the next surprise. Surprise number two of three in this passage. Verse three. But, what do you mean, but? (laughs) But but what, Jonah? You're a prophet. God gives you a word. You do what he says. Like, This would have been confusing to any first century reader or fifth century BC reader. What do you mean? But, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. So, so Mosul, uh, Nineveh, that's northeast of where he's at, and, and he's going southwest now, and he's going to basically Spain across the Mediterranean from the presence of the Lord. The, the word presence there means from the face of the Lord. We know Jonah as a good Hebrew. He, he knows his theology. He knows God is everywhere. He doesn't really think he can get out of God's presence, but he thinks he can get out of God's felt experiential presence with God's people in God's land. And so he goes as far away as possible, a surprising rebellion. There's a great commission, then there's a great rebellion. He goes down, and he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, and he went down into it. There's this, this poetic language, this picture of Jonah's downward sin and rebellion. He gets a great commission, and he goes the other way. And again, I would just say, let's not be too too quick to, to cast judgment on Jonah because, listen, the church, we have a great commission as well, a commission to take the, the fame and renown and the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we've had 2,000 years to do it, and so how are we doing? Well, I work for a mission agency that wants to go to the least reached and unreached people groups. There are still people today that have never heard the name of Jesus, have no access to the gospel, do not have the Bible in their language. And there is not a long line of people, of Christians, redeemed by God, trying to sign up to go. Why? Well, for Jonah, it didn't make sense either practically or theologically. Practically, these are the most wicked people on the planet. They are the enemies of God's people. It'd be like 1943 Berlin if a Jew was to go in there, stand on a soapbox, get a megaphone out, and call the Nazi generals to to repentance. He would not last very long. 
Jonah's thinking, this is a death, this is a death wish. I, I don't agree with your, your plan here, God. I've got better plans for myself. So it doesn't make sense practically. Their hearts are hard. It doesn't make sense theologically. Their hearts are hard. There's no way they're going to change God. Have you seen what they've done? Have you seen how brutal these people are? There's no way. Furthermore, God, I don't want you to show them mercy. They deserve your wrath. They deserve your judgment. Jonah is like us. Jonah wants a God that, that, that gives mercy to people he wants to give mercy to, namely himself and, and his own people. And he wants a God that gives justice and wrath to people he wants to give justice and wrath. In this way, Jonah's not that much different than the pagan idol worshipers that he despises. He wants a God he can control. And when God says, I don't work in your little box, Jonah has a fit. <laughs> and he goes down, down, down. He has a great rebellion away from the presence of the Lord. But then we see the third and final Surprise! There's been a great commission, a great rebellion, and then verse 4, but the Lord. In the, in the Bible, when, when, when you see a story of someone rebelling against God, under the righteous judgment of God, deserving God's wrath, uh, and then you see, but God, that is what we call a gospel but, or, or this is a big but, Okay. This is a Sir Mix-a-Lot butt, all right? Some of you get that, you're too young for that. Like, this is like, everything changes in this moment. It's Ephesians chapter two, verse three and four. We were all by nature children of wrath, but God, who being rich in mercy, and, and, and in this moment, now we begin to see what, why Jonah is in our Bible. Because it says that God is not done with his prophet. If I was God in this moment, I'd be like, really, Jonah? Like, you, you, you're a prophet. This is what you do. <laughs> like, like, anyone know about Vontae Davis this last football season? No one? But plays for the Buffalo, played for the Buffalo Bills? Halfway through the season, halfway through a game, at halftime, he's like, I'm out, retired. Everyone's like, what? This, no, this is, this is what you do. You don't retire in the middle of the game. This is kind of Jonah, right? Like, I'm out. I, I, like, the, I like the prophecies, God, where, where, where people like me. I don't like the ones that get me killed. And, and so we're surprised, but, but, but we see right away, this is about God's relentless Mercy, pursuing even his own prophets. If I was God, I would have been like, you're done. You know, you know Jonah, you, your breath, your lung, the synapses that are firing in your brain, I control all that. I'm just gonna stop that for a couple minutes, see how that works for you. But, but that's not who God is. He is a God of relentlessly pursuing not only the people out there, but his own people. And so we learn something about ourselves. One of the reasons God calls us to be on mission is to, to, to shape and form Christ in us. God has a purpose and a plan to make you more like Jesus by giving you a mission. 
And so God is going to pursue our hard hearts. God is going to show us, Jonah, you, you need me every hour you need me. You need me uh, to get saved. You need me to, to walk in life. You need my mercy and grace. And a day is coming that we'll stand before God on his judgment seat. And only the mercy and grace will hold us up in that moment. Not our own work, not our own deeds, none of that. See, Jonah thought, one, I'm better than those people. Jonah does what we do. We all have in our minds categories of the other, those people. Maybe it's a different political party. Maybe it's a different race. Maybe it's a different uh, socioeconomic background. Maybe a different country. But whatever it is, we just have this tendency in our hearts to think we're over here where God is probably pretty happy with us, and they're over there. And thank God, God, aren't you happy? I'm on your side. We have this idea that we're better. And we can get to a certain point where, where we're so happy with ourselves that, that we can forget that we need the gospel, that we need God's mercy and grace just as much as the first day we got God's mercy and grace. We can get, begin to self-justify and think, I don't need God's mercy and grace. We all do it. I think of Michael Bloomberg, a former mayor of New York City, recently was interviewed he, on the occasion of his 50th reunion of his college. He's 72 years old. And in the course of the interview, he began to lament about how many of his classmates haven't made it to the 50th. And, and so the interview began to press on that, like, wow, so, so you realize that you, your days are coming to an end. How are you feeling about that? Kind of just see, how are you feeling about crossing over? How are you feeling about Judgment Day in that sense? Jeremy Peters was the author of the article, and he, he said this. He said, but if Bloomberg senses that he may not have as much time as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, if you're like me, we, we actually now just put Michael Bloomberg in that category of the other. Man, he's an idiot. <laughs> Thank God I'm better than that. And so once again, we're like, ah, oh, I need mercy. I need grace. Augustine talks about this in his book, Confessions, as he reflects on his conversion to Christ. He says this, he says, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. See, it's hard, it's hard to, to love people with the gospel of grace that you think you're better than, that you put in an other category. And it's not impossible, we'll see, Jonah does it, but it's hard. So there's a, a great commission, a great rebellion. But now we begin to see there's a great mercy from God. But the Lord hurled the great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. The way God's mercy and grace begins to come into Jonah's life is through a storm, a painful storm. And some of you, you know this. You know that the way that God has, has shown mercy and grace in you is, is not the way that you would have drafted it up. It's through pain, it's through suffering, it's through a storm. Some of you are in a storm right now, and, and maybe you're thinking uh, that's because God has forgotten you, or that's because uh, life has just gone badly for you, but maybe, maybe you just realize that 
God is trying to get your attention. C.S. Lewis is the one that said, God whispers to us in the good times. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so God sends pain because he's ultimately pursuing his wayward prophet. So there's this storm, and it says, so that the ship threatened to break up. What's interesting there in the, in the Hebrew, it's an anthropomorphization of the ship. It's as if the ship is saying to God, hey, I'm about to break up here. Uh, you need to relent, God. And so the ship is responding to God. The, the wind and the waves respond to God. We're going to see the, 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 the sailors are going to respond to God. Everything, and even the inanimate objects and everybody in the story is responding to God except for the prophet of God. That's, again, one of the surprises, the irony. Like, what? What is wrong with this guy? Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. When, when the mariners are afraid, you better buckle up, right? Like, they do this for a living. They're afraid. And each of them cry out to his God. These pagans that jo Jonah despises, they're all crying out to their God. They don't know any better. They're just thinking, maybe one of us has a God that can do something in this situation. So you cry out to your God. You cry out to your God. You cry out to your God. Just maybe we might get through this. And they're all just crying out. They're all praying, and the only person not praying is the prophet who knows the living God. And so it continues. It says that as they, they cry out to their God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. This is their livelihood. This is their prophets. You know it's bad when they're just trying to preserve their life. The pain is coming into their lives. And this, this is a truth about every sin. So, so often we justify our sin saying, well, it won't hurt anyone but myself. But sin always, like a hand grenade, sends off shrapnel. And those that are close to us in that moment, the brokenness that our sin brings, not only to us, it, it begins to hurt our spouses and it hurts our children, it hurts our, our friends. And sometimes it can even hurt strangers. These otherwise innocent sailors are, are, are suffering because of the rebellion of God's prophet. And so they're throwing the stuff over. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Like this is not the kind of sleep that Jesus experienced in the bottom of the boat when a storm came because Jesus was confident in who his father was. No, this is the kind of uh, a rebellious sleep that says, you know what, I don't care if I die. Furthermore, we see his wicked heart. I don't care if I die and I take everyone with me. They're just pagans. They're idol worshipers. I don't care about them. And one of the ironies about Jonah is, is it's the pagans. It's the wicked people that are more sensitive to the image of God and more sensitive to God's move than the prophet of God. And so Jonah goes down. He falls asleep. And then God sends a rebuke through the captain to Jonah. That is a rebuke we should listen to. It says, so... The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Everyone else is praying. Jonah, don't you know we're all in the ship together? If this ship goes down, we all go down. Here's the accusation. And sometimes it's a fair accusation against the church. Why aren't you leveraging the resources of your faith for the good of all of us? 
Why aren't you leveraging the resources of your faith for the good of everyone? If this ship goes down, planet Earth goes down, we all go down. And sometimes, even though the world is hostile to the church, Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And sometimes the world looks at the church and says, why why aren't you leveraging the resources of your so-called faith for the good of all of us? Our, our prayer is that, Redemption Parker, we would be a people that even though they might not agree with us and even though they might have some animosity towards us, they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven, that we would leverage the resources of our faith, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the call to serve and wash the feet of our city, the call to go, and they would see, man, your faith makes a difference. So they're, they wake Jonah up, they're like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with Jonah? Well, today, even today, there is a tradition in the Jewish tradition uh, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the most holy day of the year, for them to come and of all books to read together, they read the book of Jonah together. They read it out loud, and at the end of Jonah chapter 4, when they close it together in unison, like we do with the, the New City Catechism, they all say together, we are Jonah. That's interesting. We are Jonah. So you see that this is a story about a prophet named Jonah, but this is a story about us. We are Jonah. We run from obedience to God because we are Jonah. God is missional. We are tribal because we are Jonah. We want a God to extend grace and mercy, but we don't want that for our enemies because we are Jonah. We often get mad at God when he does things his own way. We are Jonah. We believe that we know what's best for our lives. We are Jonah. God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. We are Jonah. So, again, this is, I believe, highly relevant 2,700 years later. Let me ask you this. Is, there, is there, there are things that God has asked of you and is doing in your life that you just simply com- can't comprehend? Guess what? You're not God, and I'm not God. There's going to be things when he does things that we don't agree with or even necessarily like. Are we going to be like Jonah, or are we going to say, I'll trust you in spite of my circumstances? We all put people in other category. I don't know who's in your other category. I do it. You do it. But remember, God's image bearers matter to God. No matter how wicked you might think they are, they are still valuable in God's sight. And so maybe you just take some time and say, God, would you soften my heart to understand and see you in their face? And finally, maybe you just think, Uh, God has sent some storms in your life and you just realize God is pursuing you. The mission and mercy of God is is both through us to the city, but is in us. We see Jonah is a story about God pursuing us. We are Jonah, but the good news is Jesus is not Jonah. Jesus is the anti-Jonah. Jonah ran from God's mission and from his enemies. Jesus ran towards his enemies on God's mission to the cross. Jonah was concerned with his own will and the good of his own people. Jesus pursues his father's will to the good of all people to make them his people. Jonah is willing to die to prevent God's mercy and grace advancing. Jesus dies 
so that God's grace and mercy would go forward to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. To that end, let's worship God. Let's praise him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word to us. God, I thank you that you use rebellious, hard-hearted people for your glory and for our joy because I'm that person so often. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that's wrestling with who you are and what you've called them to do, Lord, would you give them a peace? If there's anyone here that is wrestling with a, a, just a judgmental spirit and attitude, would you help us to see, first and foremost, every image bearer matters to you. Lord, if there's anyone here that is in the midst of a storm, may they see it as your mercy pursuing them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.